Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. And this week, I'm pleased to have as a guest Natalia Melunas of the winery Iola in Chianti, Chianti Classico, actually. In the interest of full disclosure, I should point out that uh, I discovered Iola at, I guess it was in Italy about five, six years ago, and for a short period was actually the importer for the brand. No longer am. It's imported by Hill City Imports, but I, I do have that personal experience with the brand. And frankly, that's one of the reasons that I asked Natalia to be a guest on the show today. Uh, Natalia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve, and it's a pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about the background, your background in the wine industry and how you came to be here talking with me today. <laughs> I'm a relative newcomer to the wine industry, although if you come to think of it, I've had an interest in wine uh, since I was a teenager. I grew up in, in Russia, born in Leningrad in the Soviet Union, that is in the city and the country that are no longer on the map in St. Petersburg of today. Uh, my grandmother had an orchard and we used to make fruit wine. But to cut the long story short, I changed my life completely in around 2005 when I moved to Italy for family reasons first. I worked for several large international institutions, but I was always interested in Italian wine culture. And so when I came back to Italy in 2016, after a stint of working in, in the Balkans, and I was looking around and one of the markets that I was really interested in was uh, winemaking, particularly export, since I know several languages. I have a lot of international experience, and it just happened that I found this great job. Wow. Okay. I, for some reason, I thought you had a long history in wine. I was a little surprised at that, but that's okay. You sure know a lot now. But put into perspective, uh, the international piece of the equation, one of the things we were talking about was um, the, the growth, not only in Italy, but really all over Europe in, and the United States, acquisition of wineries by people from other countries who have money and are kind of, I guess one of the reasons that they do it is, you know, the the romance of uh, owning a vineyard in Tuscany. That's kind of, <laughs> it sounds like a book, right? Can you comment on that? Yes, absolutely. I do think that uh, the whole image of Tuscany, particularly after this great book, you know, under the Tuscan sun was published, it certainly added to the, to the lure, to the idea of being an owner of the winery, not to mention the Goodyear film with Russell Crowe. <laughs> I think it also had its share. But also, I think it's part of the bigger picture. We are, first of all, uh, because of the diversification, uh, because of the whole new trend on sustainability and higher appreciation of natural resources, and agriculture in general in its sustainable form. I think uh, these are some of the factors that move international entrepreneurs uh, to consider investing in wineries, not only in Italy, but in other countries as well. But in Italy, there is quite a significant share of international groups and individuals 
becoming winery owners. So speaking of that, tell us the history of the winery. How far back does it go? And uh, I guess oh, you go back to the Etruscans. No, you don't have to go that far, but get the, the history of the commercial winery as we know it today. Yes. Well, in a way, we are sort of a baby in terms of Tuscan winemaking, because as a commercial institution, Fattoria della Iola, was founded in 1930s by a fantastic politician and entrepreneur Giovanni Malagodi, quite a well-known figure in Italian history. He was also founder of the Liberal Party, three-time senator, member of the Italian parliament, and even a president of the Senate for a short stint back in 1970s. His second greatest passion after politics was winemaking, Already in 1947, he became a member of the Consortium of Chianti Classico. So Ayola was uh, making wine on commercial level as early as 1940s. On the other hand, as an estate, we are well on the level of our Tuscan neighbors. That is, we have a castle slash villa that dates back to the early 13th century. And I'm sure if we start digging around, we'll find some Etruscans as well. Okay. <laughs> so the new owner took over in what year? Uh, it was in 2012. The founder of the estate, Giovanni Malagodi, died in 1991. And after his death, the family struggled a lot to keep the winery afloat. These were not the best years for Italian winemaking, and the family had its own share of financial troubles. So they were looking for a buyer for 10 years, if not more. And in 2012, uh, a Russian entrepreneur who was seeking to diversify his investment portfolio looked around, found Ayola, and decided to buy. So what was the condition of the winery at that point in time? It, it was tough. I mean, I came later, but I worked for quite some time with the people who actually became the, the first to recover and to reestablish Ayola after, after the purchase. And due to the previous lack of funding, uh, a lot of the vineyards had to be taken out and replanted completely. And the production facility had to be refurbished also almost 100%. So the castle stayed, but all well, the guts of it? The castle, the castle stayed, uh, but it, it is still in need of repair. We decided to focus on uh, the agricultural part of the business first. So most of the resources are going into the winery, into planting new vineyards, into um, uh, recovering and you know making old vineyards healthier because you know old vines are a treasure that we intend to to keep and preserve uh, and also to to refurbishment of the production facility to marketing to getting the brand back where it should be and then of course we will get to the to the castle and uh, because it is an asset that we intend to use for touristic purposes and you do, you, you welcome guests and have um, facilities for them to stay and eat or just eat? Not at the moment. We don't have a bed and breakfast, but we do organize tastings. So visitors are welcome. Uh, you will need to book. If you're alone, you can just drop by. We are open for tastings uh, all year round. Weekends, it's always better to, to book ahead or call ahead. Uh, but otherwise, there is quite a lot of things to see at the winery, including a very small museum that we created um, that covers part of the history of the estate, but also the old traditions and techniques of wine. Okay. And uh, give us the URL of the, of the winery's website. Oh, yes, yes. It's www.iolawines, A-I-O-L-A, 
W-I-N-E-S.com. Very simple, ayolawines.com. And where does the name come from, Ayola? Well, that's a great mystery because uh, when I looked it up, and believe me, since uh, my other passion is history, I studied quite a lot, uh, but I couldn't find any explanation besides the fact that Ayola is somehow linked to the word Ayola, which in modern Italian means flower bed. But since the name is there on the maps uh, already in the 14th century, I doubt there were too many flower beds at the time. So <laughs> the short answer is I don't know. Don't know. Okay. All right. So uh, one of the things you had mentioned that when they took over the uh, the winery, there were a lot of people that had been here for a while and have have stayed through various transitions. And that's been really, really good for the winery in, in the long term. Can you explain that and why and how? Sure. Uh, people are perhaps the greatest asset of Iola, as they should be of any business. Uh, and uh, I have to tell that the new owners made a really wise decision when they purchased the estate in 2012 to keep as many people as, they, as wanted to stay. We're extremely lucky because we still have some field workers uh, who have been with the company for 30, if not 40 years, and who know literally every blade of grass, every stone and every vine uh, on our 20 plus, almost 30 hectares of vineyards. And that's an immense advantage because um, the terrain is very varied. The conditions on every vineyard are very, very different. And sometimes it makes a crucial difference, let's say, if a rainy weather is coming and you know that the left upper corner of this particular vineyard is more prone to get mildew and other diseases than the lower right corner. Now, you would go there first and you know harvest or make the treatments, and it makes the difference of the difference of saving the harvest sometimes. So having people who know everything is is crucial. Yeah, I was in one vineyard in Spain, I think it was, and one corner of one vineyard was up, kind of going up a hill, and they had over 100-year-old pre-phylloxera vines and because it was sandy. You know, there was a patch there of maybe, I don't know, you know, maybe 10 rows, maybe uh, 100 yards long, and, and that was it. But it was pretty neat to know that that kind of stuff still exists in places. And, of course, in Italy, it's older than Spain uh, in terms of wine production. So that's nice to hear. Okay, the other aspect of the winery is altitude. Tell us about that. Uh, we are very, very lucky. Uh, as I mentioned, we have about uh, almost 30 hectares of vineyards that are split into roughly 14 uh, vineyard plots. Very different in terms of size, but also in terms of uh, exposition or inclination towards the sun, but also in terms of altitude. Uh, our part of Chianti Classico, it's this newly created subzone called Valialli. Uh, both the, the altitudes of uh, between 250 and 480 meters. And in this period of climate change, uh, having vineyards on a higher altitude is absolutely crucial because it means that you have better ventilation, you can manage uh, in, uh, even in the hottest uh, summer period, uh, like this year we had two months complete without a single drop of rain uh, and having vineyards at different altitudes uh, means that uh, we can balance the differences in terms of year 
by managing in a different way with different timetables, uh, vineyards at different altitudes, and thus keeping the quality of the wine consistent and also keeping the character consistent while reflecting the, the changes of the year. And you were talking about the microclimate, and one of the other things affected there is the, the way the winds blow, and you've got, uh, you're surrounded by forests in a, in a couple of areas, and that helps to contain uh, mildew and some other diseases. Can you comment on that? Very much so. Indeed, all these 14 plots that I mentioned, they are very different, uh, uh, but we are also lucky not only in terms of having uh, vineyards at altitude, but also in, in the fact that most of our plots are surrounded by forests. It's quite a green part of Chianti Classico. And so that, you know, keeps the, the plots uh, ventilated at the same time preventing spreading of disease uh, and also keeping the, the right level of humidity in the soil. So, you know, now, even in the hottest summers, uh, there is still uh, some hydric reserve, as they call it in Italian, in the soil. And uh, it also prevents erosion. So. Okay, and we're going to get into or organics and uh, sustainable production in a minute. But can you take us through the portfolio and highlight some of the individual uh, SKUs and um, some uh, significant ones that have won awards? I know you've got some, and I'm a personal fan of, of the winery. Uh, <laughs> so. Thank you, Stephen. We really appreciate that. Well, uh, we are First and foremost, a Chianti Classico producer, and I think Ayola Chianti Classico in its three typologies, that is Annata, the one that stays in, in barrels and tanks for 12 months, the Reserva, the one that stays for ages for 24 months, and then the top of the pyramid, the Gran Selezione, uh, which for us is not only the, the top of the line, stays in, in, bar in large and smaller barrels and barrel for 30 months, but also comes from a single vineyard, uh, Cancello Rosso, the Red Gate. So these are the, the three wine, the th three top wines of the estate that are consistently awarded uh, 90 plus points from a number of critics. Uh, James Sarkling, I think, has given us 92 to 94 points for five years in a row, if not more. We've won uh, awards from Decanter, from Jancis Robinson, uh, from the Canadian Wine Align. So, uh, and that is a reflection, of course, of the quality of the wines, but also of the mastery of our winemaker, Paolo Salvi, who is one of the best known names uh, in, as a Sangiovese expert. I was going to ask that. Uh, just let me interrupt and, and comment on, on the idea of scores. Well, scores are certainly important, and I, I find that it's one of the first questions we get asked uh, by anybody in the United States if we're trying to market or sell a wine like that. Do you have scores? And if you have scores, that's great. That gets you past the first major hurdle or obstacle. But beyond the scores, what people are looking for is the strength of the brand, the story behind the brand, and so on and so forth. What are you guys doing to help tell that story, both in Italy and the United States? And we'll, we'll get back to the United States and, and what markets you're in in a moment, but talk about the story for a moment. Sure. Well, everybody will tell you that their wines are the best or their wines are perfect, which is true. There are so many excellent wines. What makes a wine different is uh, the unique characteristics, uh, the idea that the, the wine reflects this particular territory, this particular piece of land, and also this particular estate. And the history of Iola is very much connected uh, to the brand. So, for instance, we have every vineyard that we have has a name. 
And uh, the names of the vineyards do not all, all only help, you know, to let workers go to this vineyard instead of that one, but they're also a reflection of the very long history of the estate and on the place. For instance, we are thinking of creating a new crew, a new single vineyard, uh, Chianti Classico, with the name Poggio del Tracco. Now, Poggio is a hill. Tracco is the family name of the farmer who lived on the land, of, on the plot of this particular vineyard up until 1970s. Uh, and he's very, very well known in the whole Valgalia, which is the little town uh, nearby, uh, because he had, uh, or his family, was the only family in the 1950s and 60s to have a cow. So quite a lot of uh, locals, you know, the very grown-up people of Valgali remember fondly the time when they were kids and they were sent by their mothers to purchase the milk from Traco, who lived on the Poggio del Traco vineyard. And it is stories like that that, you know, reflect if you want are reflected in every single drop of every wine okay so let's take that base it's, it's a, a lovely story and uh, you know I'm, I'm a believer in when you're marketing in the united states it's to get people to tell your story in their words to their friends and you need the good story to start with but a big piece of the equation for you guys as well is a move towards sustainable production and organic certification can you talk about that please Indeed, you are absolutely right. I think we, we were already practicing sustainability almost without knowing if you, if you want to, because uh, from the start, uh, already as early as you know, the beginning of 2000, and particularly after the change of ownership, uh, there was a conscious effort uh, from the part of the whole production team uh, to minimize the use of chemicals, uh, to switch to organic fertilizers, uh, biocompatible treatments, uh, and um, to um, to follow the lines of sustainable agriculture in the sense of you know not wasting resources, uh, conscious use uh, of old, of agricultural techniques, and now we are putting it into onto paper if you want, uh, because we have started the process of converting into fully organic. Uh, we are well ahead on this road, and I believe that uh, in 2023, 2024, our wines will be certified as organic. Um, and you've got uh, some pretty good distribution internationally in the United States. And, and I should uh, uh, make a point here that I had a company that was the importer for just about a year or two. It's now imported by Hill City Imports. But in the U.S., you're currently in New York, New Jersey, and I think just started with Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. And we are also present in Illinois, in Chicago. Okay, in Chicago. But you're looking for distribution in other markets as well. Texas, Florida, California probably are important for you as well. How do you, as the kind of export manager, person who is kind of the point person for, for the brand manage export stuff during the pandemic when none of us could travel? Well, these were two very tough years for us, and the situation is, is still rather complicated. So, of course, you know, one of the most important things for us who are building the brand and who are responsible for export is uh, to meet with our potential importers and customers face-to-face -face because, you know, to 
to convince people of the value of the brand, it's it's not enough to send out emails and uh, put a nice picture on the internet. And even sending samples is not enough. You have to be there. You have to, to, to taste wines together with your potential customers. And you have to tell the story. There is only so much you can tell through emails. Uh, well, when travel was completely impossible, what we did was a lot of uh, virtual tastings, a lot of online tastings, a lot of sending samples around, uh, thousands of emails sent, very few emails that got response to, but that's, you know, bread and butter of export managers that that's par for the course for us. Mm, but yeah, certainly it was quite an uphill road. It was a struggle, uh, more so than usual. So I'm very glad that at least now we get to travel in Europe. And I hope that next year I'll be able to come to the United States as well. Great. And uh, Van Italy will be back in the spring, which will be exciting for everybody to get back to Verona and, and meet and greet. There was a special edition held uh, uh, in October um, in association with the Wine to Wine event. And I walked through it. There were three buildings, which is not incons uh, inconsiderable. In uh, The Verona Fiera Complex has about 15 or 17 buildings that are just humongous. And the fact that they filled three of them, uh, and it was very lively and vibrant event. I'm looking forward to it being expanded next year. I think not expanded or returned to what it is. Uh, the excitement and enthusiasm that you get attending in Italy, and in fact, that's how we met. Indeed. Um, somehow, I don't remember, I tasted the wine or I talked to somebody and I remember sitting with uh, you and a young woman who used to work for you. And, uh, Daria, yes. Yeah, Daria. And it kind of just connected. And that kind of stuff is only happens in a situation like that. And Vin Italy is renowned for that kind of a thing. But taking that same thing, there are two things that you can't do remotely. One is literally sit across from someone. Yes, you can figuratively do it as you and I are doing now, uh, but it's very different when you're, when you're in their own personal space. And the second is to taste along with them. Again, you can do it remotely, but it's it's a poor approximation of, of the reality. So you ended up doing, like everybody else, a lot of virtual tastings, probably spent a ton of money sending out samples, a lot of challenges in terms of small bottles and how do you package this stuff to go all these places. Do you think that's going to influence at all the way you do tastings going forward or the way that you promote your brand going forward once we return to some sense of normalcy post-COVID, meaning Vin Italy is back on track? Yes. Well, uh, one thing, one lesson that we have all certainly learned from these two COVID years is the importance of online presence in every respect. So we are now paying much more attention on the brand presence on Instagram, on Facebook, other social networks, reworking and renewing our website. Uh, in terms of virtual tastings, I think we might continue with the practice, particularly where travel is, is economically not all that viable. But as you mentioned, you know, there are several challenges. Uh, there is the question of the quality of the samples, you know, getting them there on time in the right condition, because unless you are spending quite a lot on shipping, you cannot guarantee that the wines are shipped properly and get there, you know, in the right condition for the consumer. So it, it, it's a lot of challenges. We might, you know, continue some of those virtual tastings, 
but I would much prefer, you know, spending more time uh, talking face to face with my importers and uh, clients, both current and potential. Uh, now, I also wanted to mention that, you know, even when you are online, you still don't have enough space and you can't guarantee the attention of your potential customers to the stories that you want to tell. Like, you know, the stories of the wines uh, that go beyond our Chianti Classico range, because we have, for instance, a, a tiny gem of a super Toscan in our portfolio. Uh, it's called Rosso del Senatore, the red of the senator. And as you can imagine, it was named after the founder of the state, the senator, Giovanni Malagodi. And it, it uh, reflects his fantastic foray into bringing international vines, international varieties to Italy back in 1970s, 1960s, when, you know, he worked along with Giacomo Takis and Gisela della Rocchetta and all the great names that are now hallowed in, in Bulgaria and other zones. So we have our own, you know, mix, a blend of Sangiovese, of course, the king of Tuscany, and uh, Merlot, and it is called Rosso del Senatore, and we produce a couple of thousand bottles in the best years. Wow, I, I, I look forward to, uh, to, to tasting that. So we have an expression in America, when something is really authentic or innovative, your country before country was cool, speaking about country music. The story you just told about the Super Tuscan blend, which is with Merlot, I'm guessing. Are there any other varietals in there? Yes, it's Sangiovese and Merlot. You're right. It was Super Tuscan before Super Tuscan was the big name. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. We, we still continue this innovation line. For instance, we made uh, the sparkling rosé from 100% Sangiovese. It's called Brut Rosé Aiola, and we made it Two years ago, if not more. So again, well before the the sparkling rosés were, you know, top of the line. Yeah, that's uh, well, and we're seeing that. I mean, that's just the whole the dramatic growth of prosecco has been obviously dramatic, and we're seeing uh, they've just expanded that to include rosé wines, which caused, I guess, quite a bit of uh, discussion, shall we say, in the north of Italy. Is is the uh, sparkling red uh, a, a, a big departure from uh, tradition in uh, Chianti? Well, sparkling rosé is in a way. I, I the sparkling rosé, excuse me. Yeah, I believe we were one of the first, and in, in, at least in terms of you know our zone, we were one of the first to to make it. Uh, so at the time, it was quite an audacious step. And we are very happy with the way it, it is selling both in Italy and abroad. Uh, and it has a lovely label representing a young lady with uh, hair made from olive branches because we also produce olive oil. Right. Cool. Okay. So we're talking with Natalia Melunas of Fattoria di Iowa. So we've, we've covered a number of topics, but um, what I like to end my interviews with is a question about what's the big takeaway. Tell me about what you think of what we've just talked about. Is there one thing somebody who is listening can take away from this conversation and actually put to use immediately? Well, for the winemakers, I think it's, you know, we're always think about uh, your brand and how it speaks to people uh, and also how it is perceived by somebody who doesn't know all the intricacies of Chianti Classico versus Chianti versus, you know, Sangiovese versus something else. So let the wine speak and help it to speak and talk to people online presence, of course. And uh, for consumers, look at the story beyond the label, you know, where 
scores and awards and big names are, are great and they are always trustworthy most of the time. But, you know, allow yourself to the pleasure of discovery. Try to go beyond the big names and the 100% Parker or Jim Suckling or whatever, and you will be pleasantly surprised so many times. Yeah, I uh, these days, and what I mean in the last 15 years, I haven't had many, any wines from Italy that were not great because I think the days of where technical flaws or production issues are, are pretty much gone. So a big thank you to Natalia Melunas of Fattoria di Iola in Chianti Classico. Thank you for being our guest this week, and I look forward to seeing you soon somewhere in the world, either in Italy or the United States. Thank you very much, Steve. A uh, big thank you to the listeners, and I do hope that many of you will come and visit Ayola, which has a great advantage of being only 18 kilometers from Siena. So if you are on the tour, do come and visit. And thanks a lot, Steve, for this wonderful opportunity. This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. Hi, everybody. Italian Wine Podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year, and we all love the great content they put out every day. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People has become a big part of our day, and the team in Verona needs to feel our love. Producing the show is not easy, folks. Hurting all those hosts, getting the interviews, dropping the clubhouse recordings, not to mention editing all the material. Let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs. Head to ItalianWinePodcast.com and click Donate to show your love.